We're so sorry. We found the nine bad seeds that were running around our bank, just complete outlaws, causing all this fraud. And we totally took care of it, but we're so sorry. That's what I hear from these guys. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Welcome back to the Lions of Liberty podcast. This is episode number 117, and you can find the show notes for today's show at lionsofliberty.com slash 117. Today's show is sponsored by Health Excellence Select. If you are sick and tired of dealing with your Obamacare insurance, you need to look into Health Excellence Select and the amazing concept of health sharing. For more information, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. We are also sponsored today by LibertyManiacs.com, your one-stop shop for political and satirical apparel and merchandise. As a listener of this program, you can receive a 10% discount on your entire order by using discount code LIONSOFLIBERTY at checkout. So head on over to LibertyManiacs.com and express your inner Liberty Maniac. Uh, Today, we're going to return to one of my favorite features ever. Uh, we have so many features, and I, got, I really get in trouble because I think I call them all my favorite features, so I might be pissing some people off at some point. Um, but one of my favorite features that we do here, our homegrown features, is the felony report. The felony report, and I conduct the felony report with my good friend and associate, Mr. John Odermatt. Welcome back to the show. What's up, Mark? Good to be back. And just for the record, this is my favorite feature. Well, of course it's your favorite feature. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I like our libertarians in living rooms. Let's just turn this into a plug section (laughs) while we're at it. I love our libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor uh, episodes, of course, because we get to, you know, drink and that's fun and chat about things. But uh, we'll actually be coming up on another one soon. You got a busy week of podcasting. Our next episode coming on Monday will be the newest libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor. And then, of course, we have Rand Pauluses and Minuses with Brian McWilliams and uh, all our great interviews. So that's what we do. If this is your first time listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast, you now know literally everything we ever do on this show. But one of those things is this felony report. And basically, Odie, in case we do have these new listeners that are just hearing us babble about nothing right now, why don't you just kind of let them know how this whole thing started for you? Obviously, you did a whole interview earlier this month, which we'll touch on in a minute, where you really explained in full detail. But give us not the 30-second sort of elevator speech version of what we do here at the felony report and why you do your weekly column, Felony Friday. Okay, quick rundown here. So I started the Felony Report a little over two years ago. I started it uh, after going through uh, seeing some some different things, some different things in, in my uh, past uh, work experience. Um, well, working in human resources, um, hiring felons and things like that, and uh, seeing some of the struggle from that perspective. And then I also saw some personal experience. One of my friends was uh, arrested for uh, on some felony marijuana charges and convicted. So I got to see it from that side, how a family and an individual is impacted by a drug felony. So both of those things, combination of those two things, really uh, changed my perspective on this. And it's really become a, a passion of mine. You'll hear Mark and I, I talk about the, the plight of felons. And uh, this is really, that, that's really the, the reason why I write Felony Friday every Friday and why we do the Felony Report to raise awareness about the the plight that so many people are facing out there for a lot of these uh, man-made laws out there, especially drug crimes. But uh, pretty much any felony we'll touch on, and we'll touch on some some crazy ones this week. 
All right, and let's start off by talking about we'll go we'll go the furthest back in time about a month ago when you posted an article that mm, some might argue could be a little clickbaity even I don't know but the title of this post is big banks should be traded the same as people so um I don't know what have you been hanging out with Mitt Romney a lot lately or are you are you trying to say corporations are people or what's your angle here Odie I mean I know the answer but why don't you tell everybody out there. Yeah, well, maybe a touch of clickbait, but maybe not. Um, I think it's people, uh, you know, see see what happened here with this story. First of all, let's let me say what I'm talking about first. This is referring to the huge uh, record-setting fine that was levied on several uh, international investment banks uh, about a month ago, about five point seven billion dollars all told, fine from the U.S. government, uh, the British government, and the uh, and the Federal Reserve. Find these banks for uh, basically um, rigging uh, LIBOR rates, among other things, um, and colluding together to basically basically fleece everyone. But the the title kind of touches on because as of now, I, I still don't think any individuals have been charged yet. As of now, only the banks have been punished with that huge fine. And that's really not a punishment. I mean, they've made way more money than that, I'm sure. It's impossible even to quantify how much money they've made, and it's possible even to measure the negative impact that their actions have had on the entire world. Um, with that being said, though, the reason I titled it this way, big banks should be treated the same as people because the people who executed these tasks and broke the law, I feel, and hopefully uh, more people feel if they thought about this, should be should be held responsible to the same level. Obviously, you can't fine individuals some ridiculous sum of money, billions of dollars, but, um, you know, there should be some, uh, you know, the weight of the punishment should should be the same, if that makes sense. They should have to serve some time, pay a, a fine that, that, that really damages them, and be held responsible, because as of now, um, really all they've done is some of these people have maybe been laid off, or maybe they, maybe they were fired, but I know Citibank, for one, they gave this press release pretty much apologizing for this behavior and saying that it wouldn't happen again. And they've, you know, they've shown nine employees the door. Well, oh my gosh, nine employees. You really think that we're dumb enough to believe that only nine people knew about this scheme? We're uh, so just, sorry. We found the nine bad seeds that were running around our bank, just complete outlaws causing all this fraud. And we totally took care of it, but we're so sorry. That's what I hear from these guys. That's basically what what it was. I mean, it's it's ins- who would believe that? I mean, how could only nine people know about this? You had to be vice presidents and you know senior exec- executives and God knows who else to. Be- for, it's insane for to even suggest that only nine people would be responsible for a scheme like this. What I find really interesting here is that these guys are paying a fine, and all right, the fine is what five point seven billion. That's that's among a few different banks. But how much did they make on fraud? I mean, I don't know. I'm guessing like a lot more than that. I mean, billions and billions and billions and trillions. I mean, this is a massive. This is related to that LIBOR scandal, which is absolutely massive. And then what's ironic about this is who they made this agreement with. Now, they made this agreement with several U.S. government agencies, as well as the United States Federal Reserve. They actually are paying a fine for fraud to the Federal Reserve. Can you explain why that might be, I don't know, somewhat of an odd contradiction to people out there? I don't know, maybe because the uh, Federal Reserve, basically their operations are a fraud. They have a uh, license or permission or whatever. There's, you know, they're, they're allowed to print their own money. So they are officially legalized counterfeiters of money. So how is that not fraud in itself? Is that what you're getting at, Mark? 
Uh, something along those lines. I mean, and, and look, the LIBOR thing, I'm sure that that is a bit of a scandal. <laughs> you know, that they these guys manipulated prices in a, in a $5 trillion a day currency markets. I mean, there's a lot of money, a lot of people affected here. And yet, if we look at the, the Federal Reserve and how they're allowed to operate essentially without any sort of oversight, they're a private organization, but they're sort of a public-private organization. They do have the, the sort of the... Um, U.S. Federal Reserve Act back in their existence. They have the approval of the Congress to do what they're doing. You could argue it's legal in that sense. But in reality, they don't have to function in the way any sort of private industry would function. They don't, they're not really accountable to the market in any way. So they're protected by government. But at the same time, they don't really function as a public agency is supposed to function either, which would be out in the open, you know, there to protect consumers. If you, if you buy into the argument anyway, as it's laid out for, you know, public regulatory agencies. So the Federal Reserve kind of sits in this sort of weird territory where it doesn't have to be accountable to the public and it can kind of do its own thing. And yet it, it, it can kind of also profit at the same time. And, and it's, it's a very, uh, very interesting sort of situation, especially when you see the Federal Reserve being one of the organizations handing down this dictate to these, these nine banks. And many of these banks are all in some way, shape or form directly associated with the Federal Reserve. They're all tied in together. It's hard to see this as anything more than sort of a, a PR stunt. And that's the way I see it anyway. Yeah, that's that's uh, I think you you nailed it right there. It's a it's a PR stunt. I mean, the Federal yeah, the Federal Reserve is feeding these banks currency. And um, this is just who's to say they can't go around the back door and just give them the money right back. That might have happened. <laughs> you think that. they're handing like like as soon as the fine gets paid, there's a guy like walking out of the back of the Federal Reserve with a briefcase. And he's like he's meeting some city bank executive in the parking lot with a briefcase, just giving all the money right back. Who, who, who the heck knows? <laughs> I, I wouldn't put it past him. That's for sure. That's what I want to believe happens anyway. We'll never know. It's not like we'll ever know where the Federal Reserve is. Like, where do these fines go? They go to U.S. government agencies? I mean, uh, they go to the Federal Reserve? I mean, okay, so what happens? I mean, I, it, just, it's, it all seems very, very odd to me and very much like something that is meant to appear as an instance of justice being served, when in reality, the setup of our financial system has not changed in any way. And there's really nothing about, about any of these banks that are changing. And what I can see, and I think they gave some language about changing their policies or something like that but in general there's really nothing substantive here it's it's a it doesn't sound like a small fine it's a big sounding number but in the grand scheme of what all these guys are getting away with with the and the kind of money that the is running through these major banks it really is it's really minimal and it's really just more than the slap on the wrist although a slap and a slap on the wrist might actually hurt more that's a good point i mean it does sound like a big number sort of but i mean these big numbers billions and trillions they've be, they've become like you know, it's thrown around so much, but you're talking about the national debt and uh, you're talking about um, different bills and uh, Rand Paul's uh, recent flat tax proposal. You know, it was said that he was underestimated it by a trillion dollars. I mean, people just kind of th- just kind of throw throw around these things. Yeah, he said it would be what over two trillion in tax savings, but the actual number I believe was like two point nine trillion. So he really and most people would would round up to to say three trillion because you want it to sound bigger. Like look at my three trillion dollar tax savings. But he's actually kind of underplaying his own plan. But it just goes to show how like silly trillions even is nowadays, where you can just eh, estimate ah eh, over two trillion something like that. It's only almost another trillion. You'd think you'd want to hype that full number up yeah. but i guess it, yeah a trillion here a trillion there what's the difference nowadays you could have just said 2.9 i guess that was too hard i guess yeah. so. I, I, I hear americans don't really like uh like decibels and stuff like that <laughs> it's been know. uh it's been tested by the uh by the polling data yeah. all right moving along and this is a story that actually um 
Well, I'll, I'll get into it, maybe. We'll see how much I'll get into it. This actually uh, hit home for me a little bit, uh, which you might not realize. So why don't you tell us about this senior prank that landed two students in jail on felony charges? Okay, well, this story is out of North Carolina. You know, as, as Mark is alluding to here, I think there might be a little senior prankish thing in his past, but... I'm very subtle with my illusions, huh? <laughs> I think we all have a little bit of experience with senior pranks, or we've heard about senior pranks in our schools. But before I start talking about this one, I, I know in my high school, uh, when I was a sophomore, the seniors released mice in the school, which, is, I mean, in today, that would, I mean, I don't know what would happen. But back then, this is, you know, whatever, more than 10 years ago, I, I guess they just put put out mousetraps and killed them all. And it was, you know, it's going to the next day and the kids didn't even get caught, I don't think. And you could argue that that actually has, like, I don't know, the mouse could have gotten in the cafeteria that could have some health issues, you know, spreading disease. You could actually argue that's much worse than the story you're about to tell us. Exactly. You, you absolutely could. So th- this story, very harmless. In fact, uh, the two girls who, uh, you know, took up the prank and were responsible, they actually ran this by their parents ahead of time. And their parents said, oh, it doesn't sound that bad. So what the prank was is they found some uh, some lockers that weren't being used. And people didn't know the combination to, but but they knew how to get into them. And they put some alarm clocks in the lockers and set them all to go off at the same time just to be super annoying. And so, you know, they, they put the lockers in, the alarm clocks start going off, and a school administrator comes over and somehow f- mistakes the alarm clocks for a bomb. I don't know how that happens. But mistakes of for a bomb, I guess, you know. Well, most bombs usually have an alarm that goes off a few minutes first just to warn everybody so they can get get out of the way first. Right? No? I'm not a bomb maker. I'm not a bomb maker. I'm not a bomb maker. No, no, not me. Not Mark Claire. I'm not a bomb maker. I'm not a bomb maker. No, no, not me. Bum, 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 bum. In movies, I think. I don't know if that's in real life. Or you but... just cut the red wire and you're good. Yeah. Or maybe he uh, has never seen an alarm clock before. Or that's possible. Clock. I don't know. That's I, I have possible. used my phone for about 10 years, my alarm clock. So I don't know. Maybe this is like a 12-year-old principle and he just hasn't. Maybe he wakes up to like uh, Miley Cyrus party in the USA. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what he's into. You know, I, I don't know this guy. So anyway, these girls get in a huge amount of trouble. They bring in the drug-sniffing dogs and all kinds of things. They evacuate the entire school. 1,700 kids, you know, taken out of the school. Police pretty much raid the school, and these two girls end up getting charged with felonies for the crime of putting alarm clocks in loggers for a senior prank. And it's really a a sad story, and I I just checked to see if there's an update on it. Can't find an update anywhere. So I'll I'll continue to look into this and try to provide an update in a... uh, future felony friday but as of now it appears these girls are going to face uh actually face these felony charges which is unfortunate and what else is unfortunate is and i can base this on some experience here is that in all likelihood there's a good chance that just out of the fear of being convicted these girls will never go to trial and never get the chance to tell a jury look yes this happened but this is ridiculous and the jury could then see oh yeah this is why should we punish these girls this is absurd hopefully that's what they would see i don't know but uh, they probably won't get that chance because the idea of having a felony in your record is so scary and harmful to many people that they're, it's most likely they will plea. And you know, I'll, I'll get into my story. When I was a senior in high school, there was you know all the seniors started to hear about the senior prank. Every year there's a senior prank. The year before me, the seniors somehow got their hands on a truckload of manure and dumped it in front of the doors of the high school, which is 
uh, so that was the year before me, okay, just to set the president of the sort of the kind of stuff that would go on in my high school. But even then, it was kind of like laughed off. It was just what happened. It's what's just what the seniors did every year. So this was something administrators knew about, parents all knew about it. I mean, it's not like this grand criminal enterprise in, in you know, creating these senior pranks. It's just something that seniors happen to do every year in, the, in most high schools, or at least a good amount of high schools. I never collect the poo. And basically, our senior prank was... Really dumb, even dumber than that. And he's bragging. Uh, it was just, and well, I've already gone through the legal process. I think I can openly talk about this twenty years later. <laughs> but as the, stat- as the statute of limitations passed on, us? I think so. But I, I mean, I, I already did my court thing, so I'm pretty sure I'm okay now. But to to, to talk openly, but essentially, we went into the school, Uh-oh. and all we did was we moved desks, all the desks, into the hallway, every desk from like every classroom. Annoying. I mean, I'm sure annoying. Uh, but but the thing is, the legal things didn't started you know before they even found the desks the next morning because I guess so. Oh, so you might wonder how did we get into the school? Oh, that's breaking and entering. You could argue that, uh, but we had a key to the school and we had an entryway provided to us by an employee of the school. Because that's how in on senior pranks people were, including teachers. Oh, sure, you can get in here. All right. So, and then, you know, everybody knows there's going to be a prank basically around, around the same day or so. So, so I guess there, there was somebody in the administration of the school tipped off police to the night of the prank. So there were actually cops that were there already, uh, on the school property. And I guess some people, not myself, I didn't, I just participated in the prank and then I got in my friend's car and we started to go home. Now, we didn't get caught on the property. There was like I think something like 19 people that got caught on on the property, and they faced a certain level of charges, and they were all I think expelled for the rest of the year or something like that. Um, the police actually stopped our car on the way home, and you know we're teenagers, we're stupid, and it was like right by where the prank was. We had barely started driving away. And the cop asked what we're doing. We just said, oh, we're just driving home. You know, we didn't really give any information out, but we're also stupid. So the guy asked to take all our names in the car and our information and our phone numbers. And we give it all to him because we're 17 and we just listened to the cops and we just wanted to get out of there. And then we're thrilled when they let us go. You know, I mean, they didn't catch us anywhere doing anything. They just caught us in in a car driving home in the general vicinity of where the prank was taking place. And later that evening... And look, my uh, my dad, to his credit, he said, I don't think this is a good idea going off to do this prank. You can't get in trouble. And I was like, Dad, come on. Everybody knows we're doing it. All the kids' parents know they do it, and they do. It's, it's a completely out-in-the-open thing. Um, but essentially, the police called my house at like 3 in the morning because I had given them my information. And they asked us to come to the station for some questioning. Now, my dad is a very great guy. I don't think he would do this nowadays, knowing how the system, what he knows about the system. But at the time, in my dad's view... He said, all right, this is the police. We're just going to bring you down to the station and, and answer the questions as they asked us to. In retrospect, that was a terrible idea because I went down to the station and I didn't really answer any questions. Instead, I was just arrested and charged with several things, uh, along with many other people, including people that were caught on the premises that at the moment and including people like myself who had their parents called and had their parents asked them to bring them to the police station. Now, lesson, folks, I didn't legally have to go to that police station. I now realize and... uh Probably was the wrong decision for my, my father to make at the time. But, you know, he had his best interest at heart or what he felt at the time. Uh, anyway, there was this, it came down to many people just pled out or, you know, or didn't get charged. Not everybody got charged with something, essentially. But something like 75 students were actually suspended, including myself, from school during final exams. And this is kind of funny, too. Our punishment for, for that expulsion 
Um, basically, since we were expelled from school, we couldn't take our finals, but we had to take our finals because we had to graduate. So they had us come in the afternoon once school was out to take our final exams. So our punishment from the school was to sleep in. That was the punishment. To miss the last couple weeks of school, <laughs> sleep in during the day, and then you know casually stroll in and take your exams after everybody gets to go home. And this, is, this represents about half my senior class. It was really absurd. Um, but anyway, to get to the court stuff and the legal stuff, essentially, every single kid was basically railroaded. They were all told, we're going to throw the book at you. You're going to go to jail, breaking and entering, and all these millions of charges. And we all had to get lawyers. And pretty much all of us were about to go to college and wow. didn't want to be, you know, go to court for months instead of college. So everybody, including myself, ended up pleading out. Now, I was 17 or so. And, and if you're under 18, I think, in the state of Connecticut, there's a, a, a plea-type situation where you don't actually ever have a charge on your record at all. So I, I have no record or anything. And it, but I, you know what? I really wish in parts of me wishes anyway, that I, I knowing what I know now, although I still probably would have found guilty. So maybe I don't, I don't wish I, I went back knowing how the system works, but I, I kind of wish I just fought that a little harder because it really was a, in many ways, a grand conspiracy. We had a school official essentially allow us into the building, um, essentially collude with us and to, which really told us that this was a fine thing. We didn't cause any, any damage of any kind. And really we feel we were entrapped. And uh, my father had several meetings with the principal to make clear that he was not thrilled with him and would not be supporting him uh, in any way in life. There were people in my class who wanted to turn our backs on the principal uh, during graduation, but you know, we ended up not doing that because we didn't want to make more of a spectacle out of the situation. But this is a big controversy in my town in New Fairfield, Connecticut, for months and for a whole summer over this thing. Anyway, I'm, I just I'm had to share that. I got to ask a couple questions. Oh, yeah. Play, interview story. me now. Sure. Okay. So... I'll be curious to know if, if you if you know if like if classes after you if they continue doing senior pranks or did this you know scare the shit out of the the next couple of classes and, and they stopped senior pranks. That's a good question. You know what? I actually don't know because I I I don't. I mean, I I went to college and I, I did live back in my town again uh, for like a year after that, but I. I never really gave it any thought. I just kind of put the idea out of my head. So I'm, you know what? Maybe I'll do some research into that and find out. I, I imagine if if they weren't done altogether, they were turned into something so silly and innocent that it, you know, it would never cause a problem. I, I have to imagine it, it scared some people away. It would scare me. I would. I, mean, I would never tell people to do a senior break again. It's not worth it to to deal with yeah. the law or what have you. And my other question is the the teacher administrator who gave you access was that ever. Everything, did anything happen to oh, him? No. Was that made known? Or Absolutely not, no. That was more of a, uh, I mean, maybe if anyone went to trial, that could have come out in court, but, I mean, what? Right, what they, I mean, they're not going to suspend the teacher. There was no no evidence of that other than, you know, that I know it, and that other, and many other people in my class know that, too. So it is hearsay, technically, I guess. But, you know, it's 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 so silly looking back, but it, it was so well known that there was going to be a prank. And it was so, it was something many teachers would joke with us about, talk with us about. It was it was it seemed to us that it was totally accepted that this is what we do. So and then it was really just a new principal. And I think a new principal got wind of this and, and wanted to, I don't know, make his name in town or what have you. I guess that's how you make your name in the principal world. And he, I guess, had tipped off the cops and asked them to come be at the school that evening. While on the other hand, we think that we're all basically given permission to do this because we have, you know, several teachers, one that directly supported us, but others that sort of tacitly supported us as well. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. The whole thing was pretty silly, but the idea that we all had to spend thousands of dollars on lawyers and, you know, some of us really were just corralled into this. I mean, people were facing jail time if they actually got, you know, if they actually went through trial and were found guilty of the charges, which just seems crazy that you would send a kid to jail for 
for something like that. Yeah, I, I don't believe that actually could have happened, but it, who the heck knows? Maybe. I mean, if breaking and entering were some of the charges, it totally could have happened. Yeah, B and E. Yeah. B and E, baby. Watch out. <laughs> All right, let's see. What else What else we got going here? So you actually uh, had an interesting appearance yourself. I guess this is not the only show that you go on to talk about these issues. You were recently, and you, you put that a post all about this, you were recently on the Michael Santos program known as the Earning Freedom Podcast. Michael Santos is, of course, a past guest on this show. I've been on his show as well. Uh, why don't you briefly, once again, maybe as briefly as you uh, as you described our your why you do Felony Friday at the top of the show, why don't you give us briefly the Michael Santos story and touch on a couple things that you uh, talked about on his show. Yeah, so as as Mark said, I am active on the podcast circuit, so if you want to get me for an interview, I will, uh, I'll appear on your show. But I appeared on the uh, Michael Santos show, and Michael was a past guest on uh, Lines of Liberty podcast. I think that was episode 93. 93. Yeah. And then you were on his show like five minutes after, but it, it was episode 94, I think. So Michael's an, awesome, <laughs> Michael's an awesome guy. Um, and we will link to all this stuff in the show notes of the show, lionsofliberty.com slash 117. Proceed. I highly recommend listen, listening to his Earning Freedom podcast. I mean, he's a, he, he gets great guests on there, a lot of former felons, people with uh, stories, overcoming a lot of adversity, some amazing stuff. Michael himself, um, you can go back and listen to his you know, interview on the Lions of Liberty podcast to get the full story. But he was uh, convicted of cocaine trafficking when he was in his in his twenties. He was facing a life sentence. Um, when he was in prison, he published several books. Got his bachelor's degree. Got his master's degree. Uh, made uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. He was able to put. Uh, well, he, he got married when he, well he was in prison too. Met his wife, got married, and was able to put his wife through through some education. And he was able to get his sentence taken down to. 26 years so from life sentence to 26 years for good behavior and um and then what this is the most amazing part to me maybe not the most amazing but surprising it's like 17 days or two weeks after getting um out of the system he was invited to be an adjunct professor at san francisco state university so this is a, a former felon who was in jail for trafficking cocaine and he's invited to be a professor. It's just an amazing story. He's a great guy, and I really recommend listening to his Earning Freedom podcast and uh, definitely uh, my appearance on his show, of course, and uh, his appearance on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Good stuff, and yeah, and I highly recommend that that episode, of course, and we'll again, we'll link to that one in the show notes too, your episode on the Earning Freedom podcast. Well, I just want to hit on one thing, and you know, you guys talked about a lot of, a lot of issues on the show. And Michael Santos is again, is an amazing guy. The fact that this man spent 26 years in prison and emerged as a millionaire, he emerged as a millionaire, emerged as someone who had a job opportunity awaiting him at a, at a university. Uh, he did all this by pursuing, you know, a great life in prison and by, by focusing on making himself a better person by focusing on building a support network outside of prison and basically doing the opposite, exact opposite of what prison essentially wants people to do or or cares about what they do because prisons do not foster an environment where you care about the outside i mean prisoners are even told when they try to better themselves uh that you know we don't care what you do on the outside you're we're here to deal with you during your time here not to prepare you for outside of here but the problem with that is that's why so many people find themselves back in prison because they aren't getting prepared for for being out of prison so they get out of prison suddenly they have no support network they have no job they have no way to get a job because they have a felony conviction on their record and a lot of a lot of employers want won't even hire you from the first place 
can't get a gun to defend themselves either. So now these guys are in a tough position where almost turning to a life of crime is the only option left. And that's why there's such a high recidivism rate. So, you know, Michael Sandoz is an amazing exception to the rule. And I hope anybody going to prison will listen to his story and, and take a lot of his advice. But at the same time, it, it really shows us why our prison system is, is so horrible in so many ways, because it's really not about justice. It's really not about making you know society better. It's not about rehabilitating people, that's for sure. Uh, but if, if we are going to have a prison system run by the government at various levels, it should be about that, really. It should be about fixing the people. If, if, if you think that someone can go from criminal to, I guess, good person, if, if that's the idea, then that is what prisons should enable people to do. But they really don't. Really, they just log you away and throw away the key until it's time to come out. Yeah. And just to add somebody to that and finding a, you know, quantifiable way or some way to determine that someone has been reformed and has been rehabilitated so they're not just continuing to spend time in prison when they could be contributing to society like michael santos he he didn't need to spend 26 years in prison he 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 was just you know that that was what his his sentence was if he could have gotten out earlier you know i'm sure he could have impacted society uh much more quickly in a positive way even though while he was in prison he was already doing that exactly exactly now moving on to our last issue we'll touch upon here and you just wrote a little article to sort of remind people about Proposition 47 out here in California and to remind them that the clock is indeed ticking for people to file petitions. Now, for people that don't live in California or might not be aware of what this law is, why don't you just touch quickly on what Prop 47 is? Okay, well, yeah, Prop 47, of course, passed in uh, November of 2014. And what it did is it uh, really changed the uh, drug laws around a little bit and sentencing for for drug laws. So Prop 47 is also known as Safe Neighborhoods and School Act. There were three major changes in the law. First change, reclassified drug possession offenses to make them no longer felony offense. The second allowed for defendants who were already in prison for a crime that they could reduce their felony charges to a misdemeanor under Prop 47 through a petition. And then the third one uh, was for felons who had already served their time, someone like a, a Michael Santos could reduce that felony charge that they'd already served their time for down to a misdemeanor. And that's important. I mean, some people might look at that and say, well, if they've already served their time, why would you want to do that? I mean, you, I think you'd want to be able to get your rights back and be, uh, you know, be able to get your gun rights back, your voting rights back and uh, be able to participate more, more in society as a free person. I mentioned before that the need to file a petition to trigger the uh, second two options for if you're in prison serving a sentence or if you've already served your sentence that uh, window to file a petition expires after three years. So you only have until November of 2017. And maybe this is uh, widely known in California. I don't know, Mark, you know better than me, you're out there. But this is the first time I heard about this. So I just wanted to you know, write, write a quick piece on it and uh, try, to, uh, try to get the word out there. Yeah, I mean, I think among the politically active anyway, Proposition 47 is is, is pretty well known, but uh, I hadn't heard about this deadline either. I just thought, well, the law changed and, you know, everybody's all set. I didn't even know you had to go. I mean, I guess it does make sense that the government's not going to be the ones that go around picking people out of prison and saying, hey, you, you're not a, you're not a felon anymore. Let's go home. Like, yeah, I guess it does make sense. It might have been too idealistic to think that the, the law can just pass and everyone just magically has their status changed. So, yeah, it's the first I heard of it. So I hope we can help get the word out 
out about that, about the fact that people that are in that, and many people might have a 20, 30 year old felony that this applies to. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure how far back people can go to have the petition actually affect them, but uh, you know, there's only one way to find out, and that's to apply. So if there's any chance that you have a felony drug possession in or any kind of conviction along those lines in California, uh, you owe it to yourself to look into Prop 47, look into how it applies to you, and, uh, you know, hopefully we can help some people. Now, John, I don't know if you uh, you had a chance to listen to my latest podcast or at least uh, my rant at the end of the show. Did you get a chance to hear my episode with Chad Peace and the attached rant at the end? I did, I did. And you asked me to listen to a little bit ahead of time to make sure if you thought maybe it was a little bit, maybe too harsh, a little bit, uh, you know, too, uh, maybe too truth or maybe not truthful is not the right word but yeah I, I thought it i thought it was needed and refreshing and it probably needs to be um expanded on more in, in writing because it, it's a lot of a lot of new ideas oh, you're gonna put me to work now huh um yeah yeah <laughs> no i, I agree so. we, we need to expand on all this stuff but just to uh just to touch base and you know if you didn't listen to that rant well i posted it actually separately on youtube as well so i'll post the whole thing in this post but then you can also go back and listen to the last episode episode 116 and basically i just you know we were talking about politics and i had some conversations i guess on popular liberty and some other places that i I, but it's not just one guy i'm talking about i've seen this kind of comments from from libertarian circles for years and years and years the idea that we need to retract from politics and that you shouldn't participate in politics, or as Jeffrey Tucker might say, politics is so boring, you know, but guess what? Um, politics is where this stuff takes place. And yeah, there's tons of corruption in politics, but guess what? Prop 47 was passed through politics, through participating in politics. Human beings wrote this legislation. Many people are good friends of the Drug Policy Alliance were, were instrumental in crafting this. And human beings went to polls and voted in favor of it. And this law will clearly, it's, it's one of the most clear examples I can see, help people. It will clearly get many people out of prison. It already has. Many people have been released from jail already. It's not, this is not like a theory. This is actually occurring. If you only had the one felony conviction for a drug crime and no violence, well now that felony conviction can be brought down to a misdemeanor, which means you have all these rights restored. You can now participate in the process yourself. You can now vote again. Well, you know who I want voting more? People that are affected by drug laws that are going to go back and vote against more drug laws and, and vote for more things like Prop 47. And I, I just think it's essential. I will try to hold myself back from going on the full rant again. But you know, what, do, what do you think about that? I mean, do you think it's just something we need to be tackling head on more? This this idea of, you know, what, what's, your, what's the point of being a libertarian and believing in justice and believing in a better world? If you're going to tell everybody out there to just retract from the political arena, let it be Jeb versus Hillary and we'll just go off and I don't know build Silk Road and live in the wilderness and do our own thing. This isn't the most eloquent eloquent way to say this, but the, the argument to retract from politics and for example not to vote for Prop 47 because it's not perfect is it's just stupid. I mean it's a stupid freaking argument. That's as eloquent I mean, as it can be because it's stupid. You're right. It is. It is. <laughs> I mean vote, you know, in favor of Prop 47, get, get, get you know, get these people out of cages, change these laws. You know, people in Colorado were able to uh, legalize marijuana, same in Washington and Washington, D.C. and Alaska. Is it perfect? Are the laws perfect? Hell no. But that doesn't mean you can't keep talking about it and educating your neighbors and friends and writing about it online and starting a podcast. Well, they act like it's a, a it's like a separate thing. Like you can't possibly participate in politics and educate people on on what's right or wrong. I mean, we do both here. There's no there's nothing that stops us from from doing both things, you know. It's not it's not like a principled thing like you can only do one or the other. You can do both. You can. 
Right, and even if you believe our systems are corrupt and that they're wrong, well, they're not going to get less corrupt by not participating in them. They're not going to get less corrupt. They're going to get more corrupt. And the more that liberty-minded people don't participate, the more that they keep things to themselves, well, the more that the status quo is going to be able to entrench itself. And, and, and frankly, these people are just welcoming tyranny when they say stuff like that. And maybe the, I'm not saying they all mean to do that. Uh, I think a lot of people are just brainwashed, in a way, by a lot of the talking heads in the liberty movement that, that seem to push these ideas. So... You know, for a long time, I kind of half bought into it too. But I, it, when you actually put it up to the um, the fire of uh, you know logic and reason, it actually uh, makes no sense at all. And uh, like you said, Odie, it's stupid. It's damn stupid. And I think that's a good time to end the show. Any final thoughts before we uh, we toss you off into uh, I don't know where, where you got more birthing classes to go, everybody out there. Odie is soon to be a father here, so um, I know he had a had to do uh, you got to do all these classes and stuff. You got to I don't know what do you do? Practice breathing? I don't know how it works. Well, I, I don't <laughs> practice breathing. Oh right, I, uh, that's right. I, I, I sit there and you know encourage my wife as she practices you know you the breathing tell and tell her to breathe. And so uh, yeah, I had a, th- a three hour birthing class tonight. It was um, and the man still does a podcast afterwards. That's that's dedication to the cause, folks. That is dedication right there. I, I am enjoying a little bit of a uh, little bit of a uh, alcoholic beverage here as I do this podcast. You are wine this is the- already libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what I'm drinking. Next libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor. Too. Ooh, teaser. That's like a high level teaser. All right, folks. Well, this has been another edition of the felony report. The Felony Report, and we were happy to have you on here. We hope you enjoy us talking about these topics. We're going to keep doing it eh, at least once a month or so. And uh, like I said, this coming Monday on the Lions of Liberty podcast, we will once again return to the old Liberty Living Room for another edition of Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor. And until then, you're ready for this, Odie? Why don't you live long and live free? free.